all could be seated. Welcome to Refuge. How are we doing tonight? Doing good? Good, good. Well, Pastor Raul has the night off tonight. Um, no, he's actually uh, traveling right now, and uh, so I'm sure he would appreciate everyone's prayers. Uh, Pastor Raul, along with uh, some others here from our fellowship, uh, are actually en route to Israel. And so uh, what, a, what a blessing that must be, just as they anticipate uh, just being able to see the land that Jesus actually walked in and lived in. And uh, so he's going to be uh, out the next, the next couple of weeks. And so tonight, uh, you're stuck with me. And uh, some other brothers here from the fellowship are, along with myself, going to have the opportunity to share with you from, from God's word. And, I, you know, I, I think I've been up here probably at least more than a dozen times over the years. Um, I've been here fellowshipping at Refuge since since the summer of 20, 2016. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's funny. I always get butterflies before, before I come up here. Definitely not a natural when it comes to public speaking. Um, and so bear with me. Um, you know, I was reminded just through a simple prayer tonight at dinner, just the fact that there's, there's no reason for me to, to, to be nervous, right? Um, because I'm not up here to share Jake's words. I'm not up here to share my ideas or my thoughts. What I'm up here to share with you tonight is straight from right here, from the book, from the Bible, from God's word. And that's what is going to be shared, the truth of God. And, you know, God's word does not return void. And I know that God is faithful. And I know that um, in our flesh, there's no confidence. We have no confidence in the flesh. And I know that God will enable me to just share what he has put upon my heart. Uh, you know, Pastor Raul asked me about a month ago to share, and I knew right away what, what I wanted to share. And so if you want to open up to Ephesians, we're going to camp out here. We're going to be looking at a, a few different passages in Ephesians tonight. And we're going to start with chapter 4, verse 1. And the title of the message um, that I'm giving tonight is, a walk that is worthy. As I said, you're going to start here in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to bounce around a little bit. We're going to uh, go over to Ephesians chapter 1 here in a, in a few minutes, and then we're going to uh, jump over into Ephesians 2. Um, but really, this, this book here that Paul uh, wrote to these believers is one of my favorite books in all of the New Testament. And, you know, as I had thought about and prayed about what I wanted to share, I didn't realize that up until a few days ago, God was just going to totally change the direction uh, and uh, overall just uh, intent of the message tonight. And so I'll, I'll get to that in just a few minutes. So um, if you don't mind, if we could just... Uh, uh, pray here real quick. And so, Father God, we just come before you. We want to give thanks, Lord. We thank you for this, this night, Lord, that we can just gather together in your name. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together in unity, that we can just, uh, Lord, open up your word, Lord, and, and hear from you. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is faithful, that your word is true. And I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit would just minister 
uh, to each of our hearts tonight. I ask this in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Can you guys hear me okay? Good? Okay, great. Um, by the way, that was a beautiful time of worship. Um, the songs, just the words, as, you, as we sing, we contemplate, we reflect upon, upon God, right? That, that's our worship unto him. And, you know, just the words in those songs, it just reminded me that this is all about Jesus. This is all about him and about what he has done uh, for each of us. And really, that's where my message is going to be driven tonight, is the focus is going to be on him. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we attain. It's not about who we are, but it's about what God is doing in and through us. It's what God has already done for us. And so Ephesians uh, chapter 4, I want to read verse 1 to you. Paul says this, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, I'm sure you all know when you see the word therefore, you ask yourself this question, what is it therefore? When Paul says therefore, he's connecting us back to everything that he's been saying. And really this chapter uh, as we look at chapter 4, we're not going to look at the whole chapter. We're just really going to be focusing on, on verse 1 tonight. But this chapter really, it, it kicks off the second, the second part of Paul's letter. The first part, or the first half of this letter relates to our standing in Christ. Uh, chapters 1 through 3. If you look at chapters 1 through 3 closely, um, you'll note that Paul doesn't instruct the believer to do anything. It's all about what God has done for us. And so chapters 1 through 3 focus first on what he's done. And then in chapters uh, four, to, 4 through 6, it's really the how. It's really the, the practical application for the life of a believer based on what Paul has already been talking about in chapters 1 through 3. It's what we do in response. And, you know, typically this is the way the Bible often lays it out for us. Um, it's always primarily concerned with letting us know first what God has done, what he has done for us, and then second, we come to the place to where how we are to respond to his love, how we are to respond to his grace. And so before we move forward with what Paul has to say and starting off the portion of this letter, let's first consider what he has done, what, what God has done for us. Um, you know, there's really a lot of great things here that Paul has been expounding upon, explaining and highlighting uh, for us uh, about the love and about the grace of God and so we're going to go back uh, to Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to share with you some of the things that, that Christ has done for us. Because you see, Paul wants us to understand, again, I'm going to drill this home to, us, you know, to you tonight, is that he wants us to understand first. Before he tells us how, he first wants us to understand why. You know, it's, it's often said that before you can have application, 
you need to have doctrine. And the first uh, three chapters, they're full of, of, of biblical doctrine, just doctrine that is essential uh, to, the Christian, to the Christian faith. And so some of those things, I'm going to read you Ephesians uh, 1, verses 3 to 14. It's been said that this uh, section is uh, Paul's outline of God's master plan for salvation. So verse 3, we start out by reading, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished or which, which he covered or poured out upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will." so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So these are just some of the things in no way is this an exhaustive list of all that Christ has done for us, but this is really where Paul starts his epistle, reminding us how immensely God has blessed you and me. Paul has written this book to believers, so it's written to you and I. It applies to us, and these are just some of the great things to consider. Um, number one, in verse three, I want to point out that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places with Christ. You see, God has done everything for us that needs to be done uh, to ultimately secure our place with him uh, eternally. We have everything that we need. It's in and through Jesus, and it's found in what he's done for us. Verse 4 says that he has chosen us in Christ before time began, before the foundation of the world. You know, I'm so thankful that God chose me before I ever did anything. You know, he chose me before the foundation of the world. He chose me before I could even become anything or even have to prove anything. No, God chose me because that's what he did. For he says that, it says that he chose us to be holy. That word holy means to be set apart. He chose us to be set apart, to be blameless before him. And verse 5 says that it's the pleasure of his good will that he's chosen us. It also says that in love, he's predestined us to adoption as his children. You see, I, I am chosen in Christ. I am a child of God because he has adopted me 
as my child. It's not of my own merit. And in verse 7, it says that he's freed us or that he's redeemed us from captivity to sin. And he's done it with his own blood. You see, it's not based on anything I've done. It's all because of what he's done for me. It's by his blood that you and I have been redeemed. And he's provided forgiveness for all of our transgressions. He's provided that forgiveness for, for every single sin that we've ever committed in past and present and in future. It's in him that we have redemption and nowhere else can that be found. There's no possible redemption outside of Jesus and his redeeming blood. You see, he's paid a price that cannot be paid but by anyone else but himself. He was our sacrifice so that we may have forgiveness. And in verse 9, it goes, he go, Paul goes on to say that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. How fascinating is that? God has revealed a mystery unto the church, to you and to me. We know God's will. We know the future. It's true. We know the mystery of his will. And we know where things are headed because he's made that known to us through his word. How fascinating is that? Verse 11 says that in him we've obtained an, an inheritance. Everything that Christ was given, God has given to us. He's given us eternal life. That inheritance speaks of not only what we have here now with this life that he's given us, this newness of life, this heart that's been transformed, that's been made new, but God has also given us an inheritance that is in the future. He's given us an eternal home, and he's gone to prepare that place for each and every one of us. That home awaits us. This earth, this place right here, this is not our home. The, the place that we live, the place that we go to bed at night, that we, you know, where we put our head down on our pillows, that is not our home. We're just strangers passing through a foreign land. Our home is in heaven, and that's what God has in store for us. And Jesus, he is our guarantee. Jesus is the guarantee of our inheritance, and we are sealed uh, for redemption by his Holy Spirit. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is upon us, and that is our guarantee, his presence in our very lives. That is the down payment of the coming glory. Nothing else is provided or needed. And now Paul goes on to tell us, he goes on to tell us that he's done all of this by mercy, by, by his mercy and grace, which he has lavished, he has covered us with upon and through Christ Jesus. Not because we've deserved it, he's simply done it because of the resources of his mercy and his love. He's taken us, like I said, who are strangers and foreigners, and he's made us fellow citizens with the saints. He's made us all members of his family. We're all uh, joint and knit together as the body of Christ. And so we're members of the family of God, and we have this wonderful access to him. We can come to God at any time 
And we, we have that access with boldness and with confidence because, not because of a, of a feeling that we get, not because we feel close to God, but because of his word. It's because of his promises. And we are filled with his Holy Spirit. We're actually the dwelling place of God. His spirit dwells within us as his people. It's, he dwells within our hearts. And God has promised to do infinitely more than we could ever ask or think of. These are the promises of God. And these promises, these promises will not be broken. You know, the person to your left or the person to your right, in front of you and in back of you, those, those people are going to break promises, right? As humans, we break promises, Governments break promises. We all know that, right? But God, God does not break his promises. They're absolute and they're certain. Hebrews 10.23 says that he who promised is faithful. You see, our God is a God who will not and cannot lie. And as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must fully understand who God is declares to be. Having an understanding and a knowledge of who he is is paramount in the life of a believer. It's paramount to our spiritual health and our spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. In order to live out God's will for us in our lives, then we first must understand who we are in Christ, doctrinally. And so that's why not only this first chapter, but the second chapter and third chapter of Ephesians are so important in how Paul wants to convey the direction, the directive, the command that he gives to the believers. We must understand all that God has done for us through Christ Jesus. And so this is just a summary of some of the blessings that have been laid out for us in Christ Jesus. And so, so since God has done all of this, we now come to chapter 4. And we read, I therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul, writing to the believer, says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, and note, note what Paul says. He says, I urge you. Other translations you might have in your Bibles says, I plead with you. It, it Loosely translated, it's he begs them. In other words, because of all these things that Paul has told them about Christ, he is now urging them in that this is how they're to respond and how they live. Again, this is, again, the first three chapters dealt with the doctrine. The last three chapters are going to deal with the more practical application, walking out um, their faith. First, it's what he's done, and second, it's how, we, how we're to do that in response to what he's done. And that's really what, how, what Paul is appealing to us, 
This is all that God has done for you. Um, these, what Paul writes here in this first verse reminds me of what the words that he wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul calls us to um, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? And Paul said, again, in that verse, he begged, he pleaded with those believers that this is what it, how we should present our lives to God. And he said that it's our reasonable service. That pleading was based on the mercy of God. And our reasonable response is to present ourselves entirely to him. And he's saying essentially the same thing here in Ephesians chapter 4. Just want to fast forward just a little bit just to kind of give some context. Paul, in this chapter, he's, he's really dealing with, with two areas. He's dealing with um, unity, the unity of the church, the unity of, of believers in Christ, and he's dealing with holiness, how our lives are, are to be lived. These are two fundamental features of a life worthy of the church's calling, unity and holiness. In the first 16 verses, Paul deals with unity, and then in starting at verses 17 through um, chapter 5, Paul deals at length with the subject of holiness and godly living. But just for tonight, tonight I want to focus just on this verse 1. Just this exhortation in verse 1 where Paul says to walk worthy of the calling. You know, one of the big problems that we always seem to face as Christians, right, is the problem of not really living out what we believe. You know, oftentimes throughout the years, I've encountered other Christians who say they're Christians, but then you see the way that they live out their lives and it truly isn't representative. It doesn't mirror what we are told how Christians are to live their lives. And unfortunately, their lives aren't persuasive. You know, it doesn't compel us uh, to draw in the direction of the Lord based on the life that they're living. And obviously, that, that shouldn't be the case. Why? Because we've been called with this amazing calling. And Paul says that it's important that we walk worthy of the calling. So let's first talk about the calling itself. And then we'll go on to talk about what we're to do with the calling. What it looks like for us to walk worthy of the calling. As I mentioned earlier, the, the direction of, of what I wanted to share tonight was going to be more focused on how we're to live out that calling in our day-to-day -day lives. But God reminded me that, you know what, there's something that's more important than how you live out your lives. It's why you're living out your lives. And so there's five things that I want to point out tonight about our calling. Number one is that we are called the children of God. Number two, we are called saints. Number three, ooh, <laughs> I see an error there, but 
Maybe, maybe it's a typo on my part. But number three is we are called friends of God. And number four, we are called to an upward call. Now, this is not a full list of our calling. This is just something that I want to focus on uh, tonight. There are, many, there are many, many other aspects of our calling in Christ. Uh, many places in Scripture uh, that speak to us about our calling or what it is that we're called to do as God's people. So I want to draw you to First uh, John chapter 3, which we just went through a couple of weeks, uh, about a month or so ago. And First John 3 verse 1. And it says this, John writes, Behold, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. So when we think about our calling, the first thing that we should think about is our calling as the children of God. You see, not everybody is a child of God. You know, sometimes you hear people, oftentimes they're religious people, speaking about God's universal fatherhood. It's the idea that God is the father of everybody who's religious. And the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible teaches that God is not the father of everyone. God, God is the father, but uniquely of Jesus Christ. And then he's the father of those who put their faith in him. But apart from Christ, a person cannot come into a relationship with God. You see, we are the creation of God, but to be children of God, we have to come to him uh, through faith. And look at what John is saying here. He says, behold the manner of love. Look at the kind of love that the Father has given us, that the Father has bestowed upon you and upon me, that we should be called the children of God, that we who, uh, we who formerly, you know, gosh, think about it, in our past lives, all of us have a different background, different testimonies. Many of us were rebellious in the way that we lived our lives. Many of us lived our lives opposed uh, to the word of God. We were all dead in our trespasses. And we all walked according to the course of this world, being led by the prince of the power of the air, who's the devil. But now, what God has done for us because of what he's done for us, we have become the children of God. You know, once we were walking according to the, the course and of this world, right? But God, at one point, he opened our eyes. He took those blinders off and he transformed our hearts. And so this is what we've been called to. This is the first thing I want you to consider, that we've been called into this relationship with God the Father and that we are children of God. As, as God's children, there are a couple things that we can point out. First of all, as God's, as God's children, uh, we ought to, as good children would do, we ought to honor him and we ought to respect him. You know, that, that's a mark of a child who's behaving properly. And so, of course, being children of God, you would think that behaving properly would be a normal thing. But what does that look like? It looks like honor, having an honor, 
having an awe, having a respect for God, who is our Father. How do we honor God? Well, we honor God by submitting to him. We deny ourselves. We put our own desires in the backseat. We allow God to move and direct and lead and guide us in our lives daily. Not only do we submit to him, but we obey him. We walk in obedience to him. How do we know how to obey God? Well, number one, it's by the reading of the word of God. You know, the word of God is his truth. The word of God is his basic instruction before leaving earth, right? You've all heard that before. The Bible, you know, that's just, it, I mean, it's so simple, but it's true. It's God's instruction manual for living, for living our lives. Do you have questions about your life? Do you have, you know, questions about meaning and purpose? Do you have questions about God's will, about his plans for you? Well, I encourage you to open up the Bible and seek him. You know, as we read his word, as we seek him, his truths are unveiled to us. And his truth is how we're to live our lives. And that's how we're to obey. That's what we're to follow. We're disciples. We're his followers. We're to, we're to listen to his word. We call him teacher, so let us obey. You know, we listen to the teacher's instructions. We listen to what Jesus has to say to us through his word. You know, God has spoken to us through his word. And he's revealed himself to us through his word. The word is Jesus Christ. The word is God. And so we're to follow that. We're to respond in the appropriate manner. So we need to live, we need to honor God by being obedient to his word. How do we respect God? Well, we show respect for him by taking his demonstration of his love for us seriously. We respond to it in an appropriate manner. And so that's where we start as, as children of God, honoring and respecting the Father. But there's also this aspect of being a child of God to where there's, there's going to be a resemblance, right? Talked about the person who says they're a Christian, but yet they don't act like they're a Christian. They act contrary to what the Bible has to say. And so there's that spiritual aspect, how we're to be a resemblance of our Father, a reflection of him. You see, there's, there's a connection. You see, just as in our human lives, as a mother and a child, a father and a child, as parents of a child, that child takes on a resemblance on a natural level. Why? Because as children, we're a byproduct of our parents. We're genetically connected to them, right? And so oftentimes, you know, put yourself in my shoes, but many times in my life, you know, I was often referred to as Little Ray, and that's because I resembled my dad. His name was Ray. You know, even sometimes as I look in the mirror, I sometimes see a resemblance, a resemblance of my dad. Kind of weird, but it's because he's my dad, right? And I even sometimes will look at my hands, and I'm like, wow, these look like my, like my dad's hands. <laughs> Kind of, kind of trippy, but, you know, um, 
it's, it's things like that, right? Um, whether it, it could be a character or a personality trait of mine that, that I see, you know, and it's because I'm genetically connected to him. That's the resemblance. I was gonna say this, my daughter's in the crowd tonight, by the way, but you know, oftentimes as she was little growing up, we often we, everybody would call her, hey, there's little dada. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's because she has that resemblance of her dad. She's turning into a young woman now, so she doesn't look like me. She's looking more like her mama. But it, it's such a funny thing. You know, there's this expectation that as children of God, there's to be a, a resemblance between us and our Father, right? There's going to be certain traits and characteristics that people are going to see in us that are a reflection of our Father in heaven. So thinking about walking worthy as the children of God, those similarities are going to be the things that people are going to see and that will identify us as children walking worthy of that privilege of being his children. Now, besides being children of God, we are called to be saints. That's the second point. We're called to be saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul wrote this. He said, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul speaks to them as those who were called. Um, in most of your translations, it, it says called to be saints. Um, you might even see the words to be in italics. Um, well, if those two words are italicized, what that means is that they, those two words weren't actually there in the original. And so what Paul actually says to the Corinthians is he says, to the Corinthians who are called saints. The New American Standard uh, translation says this, that they're saints by calling. And that's true. You see, we're not called to be saints. We are called saints. That's who we are as believers in Christ. God, he is the one who makes us a saint. Now, you could rightfully say that we're to behave like saints, but you know what? Our behavior doesn't make you a saint. We are saints by God's virtue. It's because of something that he has already done for us. The word saint means separated ones. It's the ones who have been set apart, and that's truly who we as believers are. We've been set apart from this world. He has set us apart from sin. When you become a child of God, part of what happens is he removes the bondage. He, he removes the bondage that we had, that we once had to sin. The sin doesn't rule over our hearts. Why? Because our hearts, which were once darkened, are now brought into the light of Christ. It doesn't mean that you never sin again. It just means that sin no longer has dominion over you in the way that it previously did before you came 
to knowledge of Christ. It no longer has that rule over your life. And so that's the thing that God does. We know that. Anyone who's who's been genuinely saved knows that sin no longer has the same effect on them that it previously did because of this work of setting us apart or him, his sanctification. We're set apart to God. We're set apart to his glory. My life is now set apart to God. I'm set apart for his will. I'm no longer living to accomplish my will, but I'm living to accomplish his will. And I'm no longer primarily concerned about uh, fulfilling what I perceive to be my purpose in life, but I'm more concerned about the purposes that God has for my life. And so this is what happens. We are, we are called saints. Don't think of saints that as those who are lifted up or those who are exalted or those who only have that name assigned to them because somebody gave it to them. No, we, the church, as believers, we are called saints. You know, it's sad that at one point in history, somebody decided to come up with that wrong idea, saying that, you know, that name was reserved for extraordinary uh, Christians, holy Christians. That idea has been passed down throughout throughout tradition, from generation to generation. And even today, I think we find ourselves getting caught up thinking that it's a special group of people that are called saints, but just look to your left and look to your right. If you see a believer sitting next to you, say, hello there, saint. You know, that we're all saints in Christ. It's something that God has done, and that's part of our calling. Thirdly, we are called servants. I think that's the one that was missing on my list. We are called the servants of the Lord. And you know what? Being a servant is actually a privileged position to be a servant of God. I mean, what a wonderful thing. You know, for many people, when you think about the word servant or of being a servant of anyone or anything, it oftentimes it's thought of in a, neg- in a negative way or derogatory term. It doesn't sound that all attractive, right, to be a servant, but it really depends on this one thing. It depends on who you are serving. It depends on who your master is. But of course, as believers, we are servants. And who is our master? Well, our master is the Lord. Our master is the great and the awesome God. So what a privilege it is to be a servant of the Lord. It's such a high privilege that, we, that our place is as servants of God. You know, we're alongside people like, like Abraham. Think about that. Abraham, he was the Lord's servant. Think about Moses, who so many times in those early books of the Bible... God referred to him as my servant Moses. It was a position of honor. Uh, Think of David as another example. He was a servant of the Lord. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, she referred to herself as the handmaiden of the Lord. And that's just another term for a servant of the Lord. You think of the apostles. The apostles, when they wrote these letters, they would often almost always, as a matter of fact, they would always refer to themselves as God's servants. In fact, as we read verse 1, 
what does Paul say? He says, for this reason. For what reason? Well, what have we been reading about in the last three, uh, three chapters? He says, I therefore, and because of what God has done for us, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. He was a servant of the Lord. This title, the servant of the Lord, was also used specifically for Jesus Christ himself. The Isaiah prophet in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 53 spoke of Jesus, where he, and he said, where God said, behold, my servant, speaking of Christ. Mark's entire gospel focuses on Jesus being the servant of God. And though here we are, you and me, we too have been called to be God's servants. So like Abraham, like David, like Moses, like Mary, like the apostles, and like Jesus himself, there's something to being a servant of God. It's a position, it's a position of privilege. It's a position of honor to be the Lord's servant. But then there's one other point that I'm going to mention here about the calling of God, and that is we have been called friends. We have been called friends of God. Abraham, he was known as a friend of God. That's how he was distinguished. Abraham, my friend, that's what God said about him. Abraham, my friend. Think about how amazing to be called a friend of God. That God would say about you, you know, so-and-so, he is my friend, so-and-so, she is my friend. You see, that's what God has called us to. He's called us into a friendship. Abraham was a friend of God. Jesus said this to his, to, to his disciples. He said, I call you my friends. I call you friends. He said, because all that the Father has revealed to me, I have made known to you. Jesus told his disciples intimate kinds of things about himself and about his relationship with the Father. And he let them in on secrets, if you will, a, you know, and, you know, when you, when you share secrets with others, that speaks of an intimate friendship, an intimate relationship. And you see, that's a mark of true friendship. And God talks to us. And you would expect him to, right? If we were his friends, you would expect friends to talk. And that's what he does. You know, it's astounding to think that you can open your eyes in the morning and just strike up a conversation with the creator of the universe, the creator of the world. And not only does he listen, not only does he hear us speaking to him, but he also responds. And I think that's, that's awesome. If we consider that when we go into prayer, when we consider that, when we go in to read his word, just the time that we get to spend and, and have that fellowship with God. It's, it's amazing. And that's the relationship that we have, the friendship with God. He's called us into a friendship with himself. And so now these are the things that we're called to. These are the things that are a part of our calling 
Again, it's not an, an exhaustive list. There's, there's so much more that you could probably find contained here in the, in the pages of Scripture. Many more examples of what we're called to as believers, but these are some of the things that we've been looking at so far. Number one, how we're called to be children of God. Number two, how we're called to be saints, how we're called to be servants of God, and how we're called to be friends of God. There's one more thing that we're called to. I'm going to come back to it in just a minute or two. But I want to go back to verse 1 here about the calling. What are we to do with it? Paul says in relation to our calling, what are we to do? He says we're to walk. We are to walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of this, Paul says. Now what does that mean exactly? Well, first let me... Let me be clear on what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're to walk in, in a way that we're to attain a place of worthiness. There, there's nothing that we have to do to earn or merit God's favor. Um, there's nothing that we need to do to, to be declared worthy before God. It's not about us. It's about what he's done for us. You know, um, if, if it was about us having to do something, then that would be completely backwards. It would go against everything the apostles ever taught. It would go against what Paul has taught in his word, and it would shift us, it would shift us from the grace of God and shift us into a works-based relationship. It would put us into the mode of works, right, and having to prove ourselves to God and having to earn his favor by doing good things, right? I mean, think of it. If somebody came to you and said, you know, if you want to be God's friend, this is what you got to do. You know, if you really want to be God's child, you got to live this way and you have to do this consistently. And at some point, if you do it enough, God's going to identify you and say, yes, that is my child right there because of what they've been doing, because of how they're living. But that's not how it is. That goes against what Paul's ever taught. And it's actually dangerous to have that way of, thought, of thinking because it not only could damage our own spiritual well-being and maturity in Christ, but it can also damage or affect how we come into contact with others in our lives through our relationship with Jesus Christ. When Paul says walk worthy, he's not saying that we're to walk in such a way to attain worthiness. And you know what? No, we can never do that. We, you, me, there's nothing that we can do to attain God's favor, right? Nothing. The work is our, the price has been paid. The work has been finished upon the cross. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ paid for our sins that's what Paul talked about in these first three chapters, and that's why it's so important to understand who God is, to understand what he's done for us as believers. We can never do that. We can never do what Christ did for us. You know, who could even go an hour without messing up something, without having a wrong thought or a wrong motive? Who can go a day and say, all right, I walked worthy of the Lord today? None of us can do that, really. 
The only person that really ever did that in all of history was Jesus Christ himself. He's the only person who could really truly say that he had no sin because he was perfect, because he was the son of God, because he was the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus was the only one who could ever say that I always do those things that please the Father. I wish I could say that, but I can't. I fall so short. I don't always think what I should think and always do what I should do. Many times my thinking is undoubtedly unpleasing to the Lord and he doesn't want me thinking that way and I certainly don't do what I should always do, but I understand that it's who he is in me, right? His spirit is in me. He has given me a new heart. You know, my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses is Corinthians 5.17, where it says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Well, that's what God has done. You know, I wake up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I see myself. I see the same Jake that was there yesterday. Do I see a new Jake? No. Some, most of the time, I don't. Most of the time, I see Jake. And most of the time, I see my weaknesses and my failings, my failure. But more importantly is who we are in Christ. That's who we're to recognize who we are every day. We look in the mirror. We see a new man. We see a new woman. I see a new man. If you're a woman, you see a woman. <laughs> I want to take, God, be careful these days. People twist things, you know? I'm a new creation in Christ. God has transformed my heart. We're to walk in the newness of life. We're to put on the new and take off the old, right? That's what we're to do daily. And it's by God's grace. This is who I am. It's by God's grace that I'm a child of God, that I'm a servant of God, that I'm a friend of God. And so what's my response? Just act like it. Why? Because of what he's done for me. Just act like it. Act like a child of God. Right? Be a reflection of his image. Be his servant. Be his friend. Obey him. Honor him. Respect him. He's not saying do this so you can become that. He's saying this is who you are because of God's grace. Now do this. That's what we see all throughout the New Testament, and, you know, it's really not, not difficult to understand. Grace is God's unearned favor. Paul uh, talks about it in the second chapter, grace through faith. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 9, I'll read it. Paul says this. He says, but God... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, but it is the gift of God. For we are his 
workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, it's his favor that's been poured upon us. It's his favor that's been poured upon those who don't deserve and haven't earned it. So we're already the children of God. We're not to be walking and behaving in such a way to try to become the children of God because we're already saints. We're just to behave as such. We're to live out who we are in Christ. We're to let we're the children of God and we're to act like it. So since I'm a saint, God has separated me. I'm not to to go and and live in sin. I'm not to willfully go out and disobey God. No, because that's inconsistent with what's happened to me. That's inconsistent with taking place on the inside, right? God delivered me from that. So it's recognizing the work that he's done in my heart. As, As a saint, I don't have to live for my glory. I'm to live now for the glory of God because of what he's done. The last example I want to share as far as our calling with God is found in Philippians 3, 13 to 14. It's Paul's reference there to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's just another aspect to our call of God. And then this is kind of where I'm going to conclude tonight. That upward call of God, it's a heavenly call. Writing to the Colossians, Paul says this, he says, set your affection on things above, not on things below or things that are on earth, for your life is hidden in Christ with God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we then shall also appear with him in glory. We're to press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're to set our minds on things above. That's what Paul's talking about here. As the children of God, as the saints of God, as his friends, as his servants, we all, we all live for something, right? What, what are we living for tonight? What are you living for today? You know, something is giving us motivation to live and act out the way we live our lives, right? What is that motivation? Is it Christ? Are we setting our eyes on things that are above? Or are we setting our eyes on things that are below, things that are on this earth? What is our motivation? What is driving us? A lot of times we get caught up, right, with the things that are below. Because where are our our eyes? Our eyes are focused on what's around us, right? It's down here around us. It may be in our own family lives. It may be a business or a career that is driving us towards to live for success. It may be pleasure, just the mere just doing things. I mean, the list goes on, right? Living for Jesus means that pleasing him is our highest aim. Colossians 1.10 says, Paul writes, so as to walk in a manner 
worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. There's no way in and of our own strength that we could do this, that we can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. We need to live in light of what he's done for us. It's by his grace. It's because his spirit dwells in our hearts. It's because, like Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's because of his spirit working in and through my life. That's how I can be fully pleasing to him, is by submitting to him, by following him, by listening to him. And when we do that, we bear good fruit in every good work. As we spend time with him, as a servant, as a friend, we increase in our knowledge of God. We become mature, we become stronger, we grow in our relationship with Christ. You know, that's, that's what we're to do. We're to have our eyes set on things that are above, fixed our eyes on the heavenlies, right? I mean, some people today would say, well, you're too heavenly minded. You can become too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? Well, rather than just dismissing that and saying, no, I don't agree with that. In some sense, I agree. If we are misinterpreting what it means to be heavenly minded, because for some people, being heavenly minded, you know, you just take a totally irresponsible approach to life, to what is going on in your own life. You you know, you say, I'm not going to worry about getting a job. I don't have to work because it's of the world. You know, I don't have to pay my bills because I'm, you know, I'm, that will make me a servant to the bill collectors. Well, that, that would be in the flesh. You know, I'm just going to trust the Lord on this. I'm going to, you know, be in the spirit. I'm, I'm, I'll pray about a job, but, you know, I, I don't think I need to have a job. I'll pray about those bills. But that's obviously an extreme and ridiculous case, right? There, there are some people that live and think like that. But if that's what a person is referring to as being heavenly minded, then yeah, I agree. But listen, that's not what it means to be heavenly minded. It means to set our affection on things that are above. We're to be, we're to be, we're to be thinking not to the neglect of our responsibility, but primarily we're to be thinking about spiritual things, right? About the things of God, about what's going to glorify him. Paul says, pressing toward the goal, the prize, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's an upward call. We're looking to the things of the Spirit. Or as Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 3, we're seeking first his kingdom, right? We're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's our top priority. We're seeking to glorify him as we walk with him, as we serve him, as we participate in ministry even the things that we do in our spare time, we're doing it for him and unto him. And that's what the apostle is talking about here. He presses towards the goal. That word press toward, it means to run swiftly toward 
So Paul's attitude is one of, you know what, I'm running towards this. This is something that I'm not passive, passive about. It's something that I'm active um, about. I'm being active. I'm chasing after it with every aspect of my life. And so back to Ephesians as we wrap up. Paul speaks to us about the practical application of the grace of God. He's saying, walk worthy of this calling. It's a high calling to be a child of God. It's wonderful to be designated as a saint. It's a privilege to be considered a servant of the Lord. And oh, what a wonderful thing it is to be called a friend of God. And we need to walk worthy of that high calling. And we need to live consistently with who God has called us to be. And when we do that, people will take note and God will be honored as we think that all that Christ has done for us, that's what should motivate us as we live for Christ. I want to wrap up by quoting this verse. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that enabled Jesus to endure the cross? What was the joy that enabled Jesus to wear the crown of thrones, <laughs> the crown of thrones, the game of thrones, I don't know, <laughs> the crown of thorns. <laughs> well, it was the joy that was set before him. It was the joy of saving you. It was, it was the joy of the salvation that his death would bring to each and every one of us, the joy of saving us. And the author says here to look to Jesus, see what he did the author, the finisher of our faith. Let us run with endurance. Let us honor him with our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and uh, in light of what you've done for us, God, there's so much, and we're just so grateful. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you, Father, just that you died for us on a cross, that you gave your life. Thank you, Lord, that you're in heaven. And Lord, your spirit is here. It dwells with us. Lord, we're, we're in awe of who you are, Father. And we just ask right now for just a, a filling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Just help us, Lord, to to recognize our calling. Help us to walk worthy, Lord. God, you are so good. We praise you, we love you, and we honor you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a great evening.